You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is another one of the live recordings that I made up at the Edinburgh Festival this August. Uh, This is Mr Fred McCauley. We were talking earlier on about last night's gig. Yes. And tell us about tell us what you told me about last night. Okay. Um, this uh, last night's gig was the first of a run of twenty two that I'm doing here, and um, unlike a lot of comedians, uh, I don't have a great opportunity to do preview shows. Mm. So I did it twice in Falkirk about a fortnight ago, uh, and on the first night uh, it wasn't great, right? The audience laughed at the right bits, but some of the material I wasn't happy about, and nor was one of the people who chose to email me through my website just to tell me how disappointed they were in me. That's like an email heckle. It was, and and they'd said, look, we've seen you before, uh, loved your stuff, couldn't wait to see this year's show. Uh, Frankly, Fred, we think you're better than that. (laughs) We're very disappointed, and and I I took the trouble to, to write back. Uh, to say, sorry for you, you've only got to see it once. <laughs> I have to do it every night for three weeks. Imagine how disappointed I am. So no, I, I took it on board, and you know what it's like when you're working up a show. So the next night in Falkirk, it was 50% different, and I was a lot happier with it. So that was the show that I did last night, but on first night in Edinburgh, um, I've got to say, I, I was kind of all over the place. I, I've had a very busy week doing other things that I might tell you about. Uh, so last night, there was a lot of consulting of notes, and okay. for somebody that's been a professional comedian all these years, I frankly think that that sucks. Okay. But, oh, that's, well, okay. Um, so that's quite a good kind of uh, announcement to have made, you know, that you're, that yeah. does suck, and you, you're actually taking that on yourself rather yeah, than going, I, I, yeah, yeah, they were rubbish, they didn't like it when I read my heart. Never, ever blamed an audience. Okay. That's interesting. So, um, in terms of uh, last night's show, what do yep. you plan to do about it between now and tonight's show? I will rejig the set list so okay. that I know um, just what order things are going to come in. I, I had a vague idea of where I wanted to put things last night. I quarter up my hour, mm-hmm. okay? I would have a sheet of paper with four quarters so I know what the trigger uh, point is for each quarter hour. And then within that quarter hour, I've got other little segments and it didn't flow last night and it didn't hit my quarter trigger point so I will jiggle things around. Okay so you were saying before as well that um, you think the audience largely forgave you you felt like you got away with it last night. No they were really really 
very lovely audience and uh, I enjoyed playing with an audience. I loved uh, engaging in chat with them uh, and they were up for a bit of that last night. And of course, uh, while I was on stage, uh, I had to encourage people to put their phones or their iPads on so that I could find out if Andy Murray had won his way through to the final <laughs> the Olympic tennis. Uh, so that was exciting for us. Very nice. Yeah. So, but I think that's something that you engender in your audiences, is a real community feel. I mean, I mentioned earlier on the fact that you twinkle, but I, I think that's true to say. I think. I, I've not been aware of the twinkling. <laughs> oh, God, look, he's twinkling now, isn't he? <laughs> so already this morning, I have bobbed and twinkled. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think that's that's one of your stronger suits, would you say, as a performer, that you engender a certain relationship with an audience. You're not a confrontational comedian. No, you're not. You're not sort of trying to change people's minds or transmit important ideas. You're. I mean, how do you see yourself? I feel belittled. I'm sorry. <laughs> But do you see what I mean? Like I don't think I am either. But no, I, I think there's something. No, you're about, You're absolutely right. I'm not. I'm not political. Although there's no. a, a, a fair bit of politics in it because uh, I think for once in Scotland we are kind of entering a phase where politics is going to be more important to us as Scots mm. as any, uh, than anywhere else in the UK, including Northern Ireland, which mm. has their fair share of uh, things to talk about in the last 30, 40 years. And uh, no, not even to change people's mind. Uh, first and foremost. Um, it's been about comedy, it's been about laughter, and it's about just being funny. Sure. Um, and I've always been aware that other people take a different direction. People will write very personal shows. Me, uh, it's about coming here with new material, new funny material, mm -hmm. uh, and just making people have a, have a good time. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of my shows early on, Stu, when you were just a, a whippersnapper, I'm still uh, a whippersnapper. <laughs> the only show in Edinburgh that I actually gave a name to uh, in the 90s was called Funny Isn't Good Enough. Okay. Uh, because in those days, you kind of came to Edinburgh with an expectation that you might get a nod for an award. Okay. Uh, and I realised then that funny just wasn't good enough. You had to have an angle, a slant, or, sure. or something else going for you. Okay. But that wasn't my shtick. Okay. And so, so the show Funny Wasn't Good Enough was about the fact you didn't have an angle? Or it wasn't about anything? It was just a just name. Okay. <laughs> as, as this year's. It's just funny stuff. And your, and your show this year is called? Legally Bald 2. <laughs> Last year's show was called Legally Bald, uh, after the, the film Legally Blonde. So I know that the sequel to that was Legally Blonde 2. Yeah. And I think there's been a third one. I need to, well, I let's hope so. <laughs> Does any maybe you guys know, is there a third Legally Blonde? No. no. I wish I'd called last year's show Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I imagine, and I may be wrong, I imagine that one of the ways in which you're most familiar to audiences, and possibly people here as well, is through your radio show. Indeed. And which you do on BBC Scotland. Yep. And you're on, I've only ever done it on a Friday. Are you on every day? We're on every day. Okay. Yep. And, and it's a show that I've been doing for 15 years. Okay. And, and it was a, it was going to be a, a fairly short term gig. Mm. They asked me if I would come and do the morning show. Okay. Uh, in 1997 and they said Fred people usually only do this for two or three years but we want you to commit to doing it over the millennium <laughs> so we're ideally we're looking for a five-year stint. Oh really? No, in yeah. all seriousness they said right, yeah, you've, yeah. Got to, you've got to go over the line of the millennium. Yeah. Okay. So they wanted just a bit of consistency and the, the show is still going on so 15 years done Yeah. and uh, part of the reason that I did that was because I'd had five years doing the London circuit and uh, was getting a bit, um, not tired, but I mean, it was it was not a not treadmill because it was 
the most exciting period of my life sure. uh, creatively and in comedy. Uh, but the kids were wee at the time, and it gave me an opportunity to kind of uh, stop being on the road so much. So okay. I took it, grasped it with both hands, and uh, as I've discovered, I've been able to kind of have this dual lifestyle with the radio show in the morning, and then still to continue to uh, to do other things. Yeah. As well. well, let's talk for a bit then about the about your those five years on the circuit All before right. the radio. So that was you were based in London. Well, I was still based in Glasgow. The family home was in Glasgow. Okay. That's where Alien and the kids were. But uh, I had to rent uh, accommodation in London, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know that was two or three flats just as a kind of sure. have that as a base, so that I didn't have to find someplace different every time. Yes, I okay. okay. So, uh, but I would be in London maybe fifteen, sometimes twenty nights a month, mm -hmm. just working in the stand-up circuit. And who were your who were your contemporaries, just so we can sort of place you Crikey. on the circuit? Um, well, in those days, um, Eddie Izzard. Sean Hughes was doing a lot of gigs. Phil Jupiter's. Phil and I did an awful lot of work together in those days. Coogan was there. Mm -hmm. Lee Evans, you know, Joe Brand. I mean, okay. that, that was an untypical lineup at the comedy store. And the and the MCs in those days were myself, uh, Bob Mills, oh, yeah. Lee yeah. Hurst, okay. uh, Tim Clark as mm -hmm. well. And uh, you know, some people have gone on to do other things. Others are are still working away in the circuit. You know, sure. which is it's, and so you were you were predominantly a compare, or were you doing sets or I started off doing sets, and um, you know you you know the way it worked. Well, maybe you guys don't. The people listening, it, you would go in and you get a, a nice slot. You know, you get a, a gentle slot uh, that's specifically there for twinklers, and uh, <laughs> you do that, and then uh, you move up. Eventually, you would headline, and then after headlining, I always wanted to MC. Um, you know, people that I knew that had MC'd seemed to have moved on in their careers. So for me, okay. it, was a, it was a target. You know, Ben Elton had been MC at the comedy store, sure. the comic store. I thought if I could MC the comedy store, and I knew that there hadn't been any other Scots had MC'd the comedy store. So that was a that was a name, that was an ambition okay. for me. Get to that level, and then use that to. That's to quite interesting on. for for someone like me, currently on the on the circuit in Britain and. and a lot of the time in London to hear that MCing was a goal. I think MCing these days is sometimes seen as a bit of a trap. But if you end up MCing, then that's all they'll ever book you for because people need a safe pair of hands. So once you MC, you then can't get out of it. And oh, into I the fully understand that. There was another thing I did as well, Stu, at that time, which was very, very similar in that respect, which was studio warm-up, audience yeah. warm-up for TV studios. And I, I was the warm-up man for Have I Good News For You for uh, over two years, I okay. did nearly five series, but I had a very specific aim, which was do it and then stop doing it, and, yes. and that's a lucrative employment. Sure, um, and it very was difficult to walk away from. Very difficult absolutely. to actually go, okay, I'm going to, I'm yeah. going to take less than this because a warm-up gig can often pay. I don't know if it was the same then, but maybe three times as much as a, a normal twenty. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, so I would do that, and it's very tempting, you know. Uh, to have that kind of regular income not with a, a wife and three small children at home. Mm -hmm. But again, uh, same as MCing, it was a target, it was something I wanted to do, and I gave it a very specific period of time and then moved on. Sure. And the phone would ring, you know, and people would say, oh, I've got this you know, new show, we want you to come down, you're a great warm-up man, come and do that. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say no, I time to move on. And did you find that hard, or was it just, you, you seem quite driven, you had goals and I did, goal uh, certainly in those days, I had a lot of ambitions, you know, there were certain things that I really wanted to do, uh, and boxes to tick in my, in my career, you know, things like, we can talk about them just now, but I always, as soon as I got into comedy and entertainment, I wanted to be 
the man that hosted BBC Scotland's Hogmanay show. Okay. I just thought that, for, I don't know why, but I just thought okay. that was going to be you know, another thing to aim to do, and I sure. did that as well for a couple of years. So really good fun interviewing Fred. Uh, you might be able... Oh, a couple of things, actually. First thing, I should apologise for the noise of the fan in the background. I think this is the only recording where that happens. I think there might be one coming up where it fanned for a bit and then we remembered and our, our venue tech, Neil, snuck up and turned it off five minutes in. But I, I think it persists throughout the recording. I, I could try and get rid of it, but I think it, it sort of knackers the rest of the quality. I hope it's listenable. Um, quick apology as well. I, as you can probably hear, I'm a little bit uh, untogether in this interview. It's only the second live one I did. Uh, the first one I did was, of course, with Sarah Pascoe, who talks 10 to the dozen and is a sort of buddy of mine that I've known for a long time. Uh, Fred, I think I have to say I was slightly nervous in front of because he's interviewed me several times on his radio show and um, on BBC Radio. And, and I've been on his shows at Edinburgh as well. And uh, I think I was just a little bit cowed. I was a little bit sort of uh, nervous to be interviewing him. I think as the interview goes on, I, I relax a little bit. And I think we also start to get a little bit more of the nitty gritty out of him as to how he he makes his material and um, I think it's fascinating actually sort of I, I realized halfway through that Fred was sneakily trying out loads of new stuff on the audience of the podcast um, but I think that's a that's a valid thing to keep in I think it's um it's really interesting that that's predominantly his writing process is is to go from notes to just trying things out conversationally and I think that would be true of a lot of compares very interesting to hear Fred's thoughts on comparing um he's an anecdotal kind of a guy and there's some lovely stories in here as well and that's really all I'm going to say for now we'll uh, we'll get straight back into this in a second one thing uh, is just to plug fred's tour he's still currently on tour um you can go to his website fredmacaulay.com and that's fred m-a-c-a-u-l-a-y fredmacaulay.com uh, for details of the tour I, I i understand it's been going very well so far and um, go and see him if you can dates are on the website um, and also uh, the new there's I'm starting a Tumblr blog I don't even know what it is but I'm starting one that should be fun um, just a means for me to put more stuff up on the website so do check out comedianscomedian.com there's bits and bobs there I'll put up quotes and pictures and stuff from the interviews um, do check that out even if you're listening on iTunes um, also there is a new hack page now it's up and running comedianscomedian.com backslash new hack you can send in you can submit your own examples of hack that you've heard on the circuit such as just things that you've heard done to death boom buckle up Kai Humphreys got in touch with me by text actually I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put this up manually um, to point out that unicorns are also new hack unicorns are a kind of a go-to uh, surreal thing so anything you find that you're, you're sick to death of hearing of submitted at new hack uh, which is comedianscomedian.com backslash new hack uh, there's some other bits and bobs but I'll be honest I'm having quite a tough week so let's get straight back onto the uh, onto the interview and uh, do me that one last favour as well of course the podcast remains free uh, I don't have any sponsorship it doesn't make me any money so all I'm asking from you is that you find someone who you think would like it and convince them to listen to it just give me give me give them a spiel give them your money lines Give them two minutes worth of you've really got to listen to this thing and see if we can grow it a little bit. That would be really good fun. Uh, thank you all for listening um, and back to Fred. So uh, in terms of your work as a stand-up, when you were hosting, were you writing jokes when you were emceeing? Did you have a similarly driven approach to the production of material in, uh -huh. in those years on the circuit? Because even though I would be emceeing uh, places like the store and jonglers and, and the, those days jonglers had two venues mm -hmm. one in uh, Clapham and one up at uh, Camden and uh, but even though I was emceeing there I would still be doing sets 
and longer sets and extended sets and then coming to Edinburgh as well. I mean, okay. So for Edinburgh you were needing an hour long show. So when you're MCing, and I, that for me provided me with a, a perfect route to to try out material because if you're on stage, you know, you do the, the chatting with the audience kind of stuff and then you've got your good material that you know is going to work and win them over and then you can slip in sure. stuff and you're on four or five times so you get that opportunity to, yes. to try new material just yes. little bits you know just okay. almost just one liners or, or bits that you think might work up into a routine sure so so let's talk about the the, the journey of an idea from the, the first time you have the idea and maybe do you make a note of it and I mean uh, I, if we can I don't know if, if have you noticed a difference in how you worked then to how you work now in the preparation of this show because we can maybe talk about that a little bit later on if there's a difference. Yeah. But, but looking at that time on the circuit, because I know a lot of people, the listenership of this of this uh, show, the podcast show, is um, uh, newer comedians. A lot of uh, open spots are yeah. really excited about it and hello, wanting to... <laughs> hello, young'uns. <laughs> yeah, hello, young'uns. Look how many of you there are. <laughs> well, absolutely, yeah. that, that is one thing that has really changed. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the process has changed a wee bit. Okay. Um, We've kind of gone electronic, uh, although we did have computers in those days. <laughs> <laughs> but not ones you could put in the Yeah. Um, but so let, let's look then at, the, okay. at those years in London. Uh, you have an idea, and I mean I don't know if you can think of a particular bit of material that was like a mainstay at that time. Um, I'm not going to ask you to perform it. No, no. Uh, it it is pretty much the same. In, in those days, okay. it would have been just. I never had a notebook. Mm -hmm. It was always scraps of paper, always okay. A4 bits of paper, and uh, they would be uh, written. Ideas would be written down, um, and I would pretty much have them in my head. Uh, okay. You know, so I would. I did doing a lot of travelling. I did a lot of thinking and doing things over in my mind, mm -hmm. uh, and then if I thought it was good, I would just jot down a few words. Okay. So it was scribbles. Okay. But not in a notebook. I'm, I'm a loose leaf man. It, it strikes me. It's funny. A, a lot of people, a lot of the different comedians I talk to, got very different takes on how they would write it. Very different sort of systems. Um, and a lot of people say, oh, with, because there's so much travel involved in stand-up comedy, this is the best opportunity to get the get the stuff done. Um, but uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts now because there's a lot of podcasts available, and I do worry sometimes that I'm using up time that could be better spent looking out of the window creatively. If you see what I mean, do you know what I mean? Because like uh, even and even this show as well, I, you know, I know there's a lot of other similar shows to this. I listen to that, I feel like I'm kind of working and learning about comedy. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there seems to be less time these days available to, to sit and wonder. No, you're absolutely right, and um, I, I admire. And, and there are folks. There are so many different ways that people go about the task of uh, creating new material. Uh, some will just do it on stage and improvise, mm -hmm. and then others. Have, you know, I've noticed people tweeting, well, oh, today's a writing day. Yeah. You know, so they'll go and they'll write and they'll hack stuff out in the computer. Now, uh, I brought my laptop with me today and uh, thankfully uh, it's run out of power <laughs> because there's very little in it. I do, I do sit down every now and again and try and batter stuff out. And, sure. and I can say with an element of confidence that nothing I've ever done in those circumstances has made it successfully on the stage. Really? It's rubbish. Okay, that's interesting. I, something I was talking to Sarah about yesterday, Sarah Pascoe, uh, she's, a, she's a, a phenomenal diarist and she right. seems to have recorded almost every aspect of her life. So she's got huge amounts of stuff to draw on and she likes to sit and actually write. 
I think one of my strongest suits is in, in improvising on stage. Yeah. But I find sometimes I try and make myself sit down and write, and I do have a schedule of writing hours. And I noticed when you discussed, you know, when you just mentioned, uh, you know, some people tweet that they're doing a writing day, and you looked a bit aghast uh -huh. at the very idea. I mean, I, I try and do those, but I do find that sometimes the writing can become very stagnant because you end up doing a lot of cutting and pasting and you're writing on your laptop and going, okay, I'm trying to be creative now, I'm trying to bash something out, but really I'm just, it's the equivalent of pushing food around a plate rather than a much more spontaneous live kind of a thing. Well, I've just produced uh, my, my iPhone here and uh, on the notes section, okay? Okay, yeah, that's um, great. Now, I need this because I'm doing a little bit of uh, accountancy at the start of the shows um, just to let people know about taxation issues that some comedians have got themselves into. <laughs> so I'm being very upfront this year about my earnings at the fringe. So there's, there's quite a lot of that. Then I've got my set list um, from Falkirk, uh, which I can go through tonight. And that's, uh, you can just see there, um, sorry, this is very visual for a podcast. That's quite all right. That, these, these are just the sort of trigger words that I'm looking for. But okay. also in this, there are bits where I've tried to write, right? And I, I, Stuart, I'm going to be honest with you, this is on a par with what was on the laptop. Okay, okay. no, feel free, this can be, this, there's no need for this to be you showing yeah. off good writing. And then, to be more interesting just, just to let you, you know more about <laughs> Fred Macaulay, uh, the other notes that I've got here, um, I've got my Vodafone password, uh, <laughs> I've got uh, and the address of our theatre in Rooster that I was going to think about, and doing some stuff for. I've got my uh, LA set, um, I've got my BBC password, uh, uh, my list of fringe comps, <laughs> which I've got to say is rather more extensive than any of the material I've written. This has suddenly <laughs> become a very valuable object, and all eyes are upon it. <laughs> my bank login, right, this is for my bank account, and it's the same eight numeric code that I have to key in every day to get into the number of bank accounts that I've got, uh, and I occasionally forget it. But here is Legally Bald 2, um, and I've got a, a Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes gag in there that is not going to see the light of day, and it's certainly not going to be part of the podcast. There's a, a wee mention of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> and then I have new bits, okay? okay. Uh, and again, just as you, these, these, this is the kind of thing I would have written down on the wee scraps of paper. So okay. New bits about 3D TV, uh, I've got Connolly Heckles, uh, MySpace and Bebo, selling DVDs, Donald Duck and Porky, um, getting jittery around Easter time, what would Jesus do? Uh, and then the Lord's Prayer at school. Now here's something, now you can see this is a wee bit longer, um, and that's the kind of stuff I, I would write uh, okay. on a computer. So, um, I don't know if you, have you got edit facilities in this podcast? Or uh, yes, yes yeah, I have, okay. yeah, absolutely. This we don't on these humans. Okay. <laughs> this has never been said out loud before, okay? And it's alright to do Yeah, that. of course, no, absolutely. This is exactly the point. The Lord's Prayer at school, I, I don't know the words. It's the same with flight safety. Uh, we're here primarily for your safety, the stewardess says. And I've heard that probably a hundred times a year. And I don't know what comes after the seatbelt bit. Something about the life vest and forgiving debtors as they forgive. <laughs> and then the captain comes on to tell you why there's a delay and you're always disappointed because recently it's become operational reasons. That's it. The least they could say is that somebody has messed up or somebody's really messed up. Apologies for the delay, but one of the baggage handlers has messed up. <laughs> he put the bags on a bus. 
I thought that was funny. <laughs> Passengers on the starboard side can see the first officer giving him a doing. <laughs> we could have left in time, but we had to teach the dozy a lesson. <laughs> operational reasons. Sorry if that joke doesn't work, it was because of operational reasons. <laughs> so that's so that's that's something that I hacked out, okay? But yes, I, okay. And, and it was kind of you to laugh. But for me, I don't know that that would work as stand-up. Yeah, and do you think that's because that's something you sat down and written? When you say hacked out, you mean you, you sort of sat on a bus or something and written that yeah. to yourself? Yeah. And thought, and it made you laugh at the time? It, it did. Yeah, I'm not asking you to sort of hang yourself and go, but yes, I thought it was brilliant. The, the good thing, Stu, is, as you know, um, we never discard anything, mm -hmm. right? All the wee notes and things you keep, and there are lines that, um, you know, I might not have a use for any of that stuff just now, but something might come back okay. from that. Um, so, so with that, just using that as an example for a moment, this, this idea of operational, I mean, we can sort of see uh, where you're coming from with the joke. Uh -huh. um, I mean, to say, yeah, we can see what you're trying to do. That's not <laughs> what I mean, that's not what I mean. Um, but, you know, we, you've got this idea of operational reasons, and never been given enough information on it, which seems yes. like a very feckin' topic to do uh -huh. something with. So did that start from you sitting on a plane? What was the, what was the first uh, idea? Where did that first germinate from? That, that was the plane, and it was the captain saying, oh, and the reason that we're late, and I was thinking, good, but unless somebody's okay. not taking the okay. bland corporate route, he's going to tell us why we're late. Sure. And it's operational reasons. I, I think that just covers everything, doesn't it? And, and also, within a few days of that, um, I'd been at a train station. I live in a village that has got a train that runs into Glasgow and uh, not all the trains stop and pick us up. Okay. But one an hour does, okay. Okay? and it's at five minutes past the hour. And I went down to, to get the, the, the train into town uh, to go to a gig uh, in Edinburgh, so I needed the train into town, train through to Edinburgh, and at 10 past the hour, I realised something was, was wrong. And it's not a manned station, so there's a button that you press and it connects you with okay. the, the sort of hub in Glasgow. And I, I said, hello, I'm uh, waiting to get the five pass train, there's no sign. He said, it's been cancelled. And I said, well, well, how was I and the other passengers meant to know that? I said, because it mean, now means, you know, I said, is, is there another one being laid on? Or is there a bus service for, for the three of us? Um, and he said, no there should have been an announcement. And I said, well, there wasn't. And he said, well, there should have been. And I said, well, there wasn't. Well, and I said, uh, how long is this going to go on? I said, because there was no announcement and you've just left us standing here. And he said, all I can say is, there should have been an announcement. And I said, look, is that all you're going to say? I said, come on, man, we're human beings. Let's." And then he, he made something about, well, don't take that attitude. Um, and I said, well, you, you know, just be honest with me. And he said, okay. He said, all I can say is this should have been an announcement. Right? And this was the, it's just this corporate bland, they're, they're frightened to say anything yeah. in case there's some kind of repercussion. Um, another train incident, right? And this might all, so now we've got that operational reason. Okay. We've got the phone call. There was another train one that's just come to my mind. I was late getting the sleeper home from London back to Glasgow to do my radio show, right? And it's due to get into Glasgow at 7 a.m. I'm not on air until 10.30, mm -hmm. so I've got three and a half hours to play with. We're four hours late, right? And we're sitting south of Carstairs, and I said to the train manager, I said, listen, I, I know you know who I am, 
I've got a radio show to do, and it's pretty vital that I'm there. I said, how long before we get to Carstairs, and I'll get somebody to pick me up from there and, and get me up. And I said, how long till we get to Carstairs? And we were stationary at the time. He said, I'd like to say 10 minutes. <laughs> I said, that's meaningless. <laughs> Unless we're going to be there in 10 minutes. I said, that is meaningless. I said, when will be? He said, I'd like to say 10 minutes. I said, and same again. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm of an age where you can kind of say, oh, come on. I said, will we be there in 10 minutes? He said, no. <laughs> What's the point in saying, I'd like to say 10 minutes? I'd like to say, you know, lots of things. Sure. But it's meaningless. So is that, so now that, having just uh, related that anecdote uh -huh. now, is that something you've used on stage previously? I, I used that uh, once, I think. I've, no, okay. in fact, no, the train manager thing I've never used. Okay. Uh, the, the phone call thing I did once. Sure. Um, you know, about the, uh, you know, there should have been an announcement. Mm -hmm. and, and he went, he, he said, okay, hang on, I'll just check. And he, I don't know what he said, <laughs> you go and check. And he came back and he, I said, have you checked? And he said, yes. And I said, so what's the story? He said, there should have been an announcement. <laughs> so, maybe so now, maybe now we've got something, that, a sort of George Carlin, things that annoy me, you know. Okay, and, okay, and yeah. Condensed That's things. it, it's kind of forming into a routine and creating around yeah. the idea of frustration at specifically that you know okay. corporations bigger bigger uh, organizations uh -huh. not taking responsibility I've so here can I, just before on, yeah. it, and because i spend five days a week interviewing people too okay right, forgive me yeah no not at all uh, yeah, but, but the, just before i go on to the, the other page uh goal line technology the, we we're uh, we're speaking on the fourth of august the Scottish football season starts today, and uh, we don't have it up here, but down south, I gather, you're having goal yes. line technology. Yes, we talked about this actually. Did you? Your, uh, yeah, no, you and I did oh, right. on your comedy show. That was one of the that was one of the subjects uh -huh. with me and Ollie Mann. And I remember saying, "Oh, this means that Ollie Mann must be really seriously not into sport if I've been given a football question about <laughs> which I know right. nothing." Uh, well, I I just said. Um, can we backdate it maybe to July 1966? <laughs> <laughs> that's all right, isn't it? That's all right. So that there you are. That that's new bits. Uh, sure. So these, I mean, the things you've said to us now, these uh, the last couple of uh, stories you've told us, those sort of examples, they're they're almost very fully formed routines, aren't they? Yes. So. Given that you get, you know that the end part of that routine is going to be funny. You know the punchline of that story. Uh -huh. You know with the guy saying, you know, if he's gone back and checked and then come back and said, I'd like to say it, uh -huh. is it going to be no? Uh -huh. We can recognise that. And presumably, when that event either happens or when you sit and write that down, you can look at that with some degree of certainty and go, that will make them laugh. Yeah, that will work. That's right. And then, do you? What else do you do? What's the next step for that story? Is it just that you get on stage and tell it and find yourself naturally embellishing it, or do you? Do you ruminate on embellishments you can make, or do you put it on paper? What's, think, what's the next step? Well, I don't know how many people you, you've talked about this, but once you do do it on stage, and if you get the you know the, the generosity of a laugh, that gives <laughs> you a split second, and and you might be able to improvise something about it. And that is how a routine would develop. Yes. Okay. Uh, and that that was where you know back at the comedy store, MCing these maybe you know, and amongst all the other bits and pieces that I would do, I would batter in. Uh, a new bit, right? Okay. And then uh, it might develop. And, and what I did in those days too was I I would work lines and bits, and then I used to maybe try them out only once or twice, mm -hmm. and then put them away. 
Okay. And then bring them all out for Edinburgh. So uh, that okay. would be a new hour for Edinburgh. And so that hour would be that would be fresh. That's so right. oh I see. So so you wouldn't spend the year working those things up no. in order to take them to no. Edinburgh. Because that's very much the model that I subscribe to now, and I think yeah. a lot of people do. Is I and I've spoken on about this before on the show, is about how one ends up spending one's life doing not as well as one could be doing in a club <laughs> in order to get stuff ready. Like on a Saturday night in Deptford, uh, you know, I'll be thinking I could bring out the big guns here and make sure I get rebooked and all the rest of it. But there really is that that five that I'm thinking about for Edinburgh that by the time I get to Edinburgh has got to really have been run in and, and improvised around. Perhaps uh, as I said time the start, it was, yeah, yeah. And, it was a, and it was a different, uh, a different look at Edinburgh and, you know, as I say, the, the luxury of being able to do preview shows. And I think preview shows for Edinburgh is something that's come along in the last 10 years or so. Yes. Uh, I don't I don't think when I first started, and it was 93 I did my first full uh, one-man show here. Okay. Uh, I don't think people did that. I think once you got to Edinburgh, there'd be a, a sort of bedding in five or six nights. And yes. I would reckon that by, by, by sort of Tuesday or Wednesday next week, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have any notes on stage with me. Okay. I'll, I'll have it off pack and then. This is the next stage in the progress. Okay. Uh, you can tell the ex-accountant in me. Buff uh, folder, fringe 2012. <laughs> uh, and then inside this, and you know, just, just so you know folks, um, there are very few people have seen inside this folder. Um, last night's audience obviously saw it all. Uh, and it fell open like that, and I could see people trying to read what's on the inside cover. These are the comps, these are the freeloaders, okay? These are the ones that say, oh Fred, there's six of us coming through, can we come and see your show? Uh, and then the scraps of paper, there you are, there, there's a scrap of paper in that. Uh, this isn't one of the quartered ones, this has just been folded over like that. And then you get um, various degrees of bad handwriting. Uh, we can't see the first one out loud. No, uh, okay. there's two. Oh, I, I saw you do that joke on that on your website. There's yeah. a clip of you uh, doing that joke, that which is about the states. farming implements. That's right. Yeah, there's certain swear words popular in Scotland, uh, sounding like farming implements. If you, if you, well, if you think of some long swear words, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's a bit that really worked out in the states. They yes, the people really love that. They love that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Then Amish, uh, drunk guy at the airport, um, and then. Uh, my wife's obviously been looking for a scrap of paper and she's written down Johnson Carmichael and that, that's not a routine. Right? <laughs> that's somebody that she needed to go or took a message from. Um, there's something about my DNA uh, underneath. It, it might be Johnson Carmichael might be the beginnings of a routine uh -huh. if you were to explain that you know this was on my notes one time and now I've got to do a gag about someone called Johnson Carmichael. Uh -huh. I have no idea. Imagine somebody listening said, that's me. <laughs> What's Fred's wife doing, making notes about it? <laughs> I get, but I was in London this week, uh, down at the Olympics, went for a, a meal. I went to an Ethiopian restaurant, and uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I had a, a, a dish called Derek Tibbs. <laughs> I, I couldn't go past that. You know, people were on hummus, yeah. um, you know, chicken skewers and kebabs and things like that. I couldn't get past that. I'm going to have Derek Tibbs. <laughs> uh, Balotelli, that's a joke that uh, is neither uh, relevant because we're you know, in Edinburgh. But Guy in Pants, that, that, I wrote this was in the folder. The, Talk us through Guy in Pants. Guy in Pants was a man that I saw. I was uh, down doing the news quiz, and, and I got a routine just about uh, a drunk Scot waiting to get on to uh, a flight mm -hmm. at uh, um, East Midlands Airport, uh, which is uh, you know, just based on observation of a, of a man who's clearly drunk. 
uh, hoping to get the last flight home to Glasgow. And I just, uh, I knew he was Scottish, you know, I knew he was Scottish, and I didn't know why I knew, whether it was his dress, or his baggage, or the drunken state that he was in. Got in there, so I was doing news business, I was staying in the Holiday in Regent's Park, which sounds lovely, and it's not. And I went in, and uh, it was about quarter to midnight, and there was a man standing in his pants at the front reception desk, right? That's all he had on was a pair of briefs. And I, so I was probably, I don't know, maybe 50 feet away, and I said, and I looked over and I thought, that man's Scottish. <laughs> and I, I had no idea why, and I, and I had no reason to go over to the reception area. I had a key, I was fully clothed. <laughs> I, I could just have gone straight to my room. I walked over just to hear him, and he's going, oh, I'm locked out my room, darling. I'm going to do it. And uh, so I just, he was Scottish, and I went over, and I got in the lift, and he said, hold the lift! <laughs> and he came over, and he got in, and very, very drunk. And I, I said, and I said uh, locked out your room. I, uh, I said, how did that happen? Party. <laughs> so there clearly was a party going on someplace, and it was a, uh, you didn't obviously need a lot of dress to be in it, but he'd come out of the party and forgot where his room was, and then he went out and asked reception for his key for his room. So that's guy in pants. So I mean, okay. you know, it's not a routine, it's not something I've written, but it's, it's sure. going to be sort of anecdotes, and I do that kind of stuff. And yes, do you do you find that you ever write one-liners as well? Are you purely an anecdotalist? Do you end up do 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 you gather? I mean, I I, I sit occasionally and try to write one-liners. I um, find it incredibly difficult. It's it such a skill, and I'm much more of a kind of storyteller. Yeah. Um, but every time I've sat down and written one, maybe of the ten times I'll sit down and try to write one-liners, I'll get two good gags out. Yeah. Right? And they're really useful for having in your back pocket to sprinkle in in the middle of a routine if if you feel that you've lost them or something. You know. Yeah. Uh, out of the way. Do you do you ever do that? Do you uh -huh. have those? Yeah, things? yeah. But I mean, not not for my own stuff. And three times I've done mock a week, and you know the the bit at the yeah. end where you're kind of standing on the steps, and you've got to get into the, the yes. microphone to give you things to write about. Sure. Um, and you have, you've got to come up with the goods for that. So, um, and I haven't done have I got news for you and things like that. Mock a week is very very different. I mean, you're getting yes. drip fed stuff from about the Monday for a Wednesday or a Thursday recording. Okay. Uh, so you're writing all the time. And what I did learn from that was, you know, it's like if you, if you sit down, you know, and they, they say, right, we need five lines on such and such. Yes. And you kind of write, you write five, and you think, well, the first two are good. Yes. And then it kind of dribbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I've got to all that is that going back and revisiting it. Okay. And, and actually sweating it out, you can't come up with more. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there is, there is something in there, but nowhere like the output of Frankie, you know, who, no, sure. who is a, a, an incredible one-liner and joke merchant. I mean, mm -hmm. the guy's so prolific. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, over the years I've come up with, with some one-liners. One that I love, you know, uh, here's one that I, 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 I love the English language. I love having studied Latin, the way that words are formed. Uh, either from Latin or Greek words, but you know that the word mosaic is actually just made up of tiny wee bits of other words. Very nice, very nice. Yeah. Uh, when did you write that? Was that a, is that long a long time ago. Okay. And it was one that, again, it's lovely for this situation here, we're just having a chat about writing sure. comedy. It's not something that we'd ever 
think, oh, that's going to be my stand-up set because that will yes. blow the roof off the place. Yeah. It's, a, it's a gentle new line. Sure. But in, in the writing of it, did you did, did was that something that just occurred to you and you went, oh, all that will work as a joke, yeah. rather than something you, you kind of did a Absolutely. spider diagram yeah. around the concept of language? Or, yeah, or no, no, that, you're right. Uh, that was something that just sure. I thought about. But the, the actual process of writing one-liners, uh, I would say, not just for, for um, Mock the Week, but a lot of radio shows in the past as well. Yes. Um, I used to do a thing on Five, five Live um, donkeys years ago, a long, long time ago, called Hold the Front Page. Okay. And that was, uh, I think we did about five series of that, and that was a lot of one-liners. And what was your what was your system for writing those? Did you, if they give you a subject, that's obviously a lot easier, yeah. because otherwise, the, you know, yeah. it's that blank page tyranny, isn't it? Yeah. You have no idea what's, what's it What would happen if Lord Nelson had walked down Carnaby Street in the 60s? Okay. Oh, so they give you. So they. they yeah. Excuse me. They're giving you sort of almost both halves. They're giving you two concepts. Correct. Saying smash these together, and find links between them. them. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. I thought it would be more like just a, a kind of subject to begin with. But I suppose that's true of the, the ones that I've been given by your uh, production team for the radio show. Yeah. Is you know you do get a subject, and as I did with the football, I go, Jesus, you know, I'm up the, the night before going. What can I say about football? I've literally no idea. I don't remember the gold line technology. The abbreviation is GLT, uh, and I think my opening gag was to do with how I, I thought I knew so little about sport. I thought that was a sandwich. <laughs> You're being very kind. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? You, you end up you write kind of you just try and chuck out as many as possible, uh -huh. and then try them on someone. That's certainly part of my process. Yeah. Do, you, do you find that the alien becomes a sounding board? Oh, alien, alien is great, and I mean. Shoot. You think this was a long stint for me? I enjoy performing. Alien will be at every gig, and she writes stuff down for me as well. Okay. And she she knows the the, the, the shows well enough that she, she can recognise an ad lib and something that's to be added in. And so she'll make a note of it. Same member for next I mean, time. That's fabulous. The an older uh, ex accountant, now comedian uh, Scott, is Arnold Brown. Arnold certainly uh, in his heyday used to record every gig he did. Yes. Uh, on tape and listen back to it because you do for, you forget the, the throwaways Absolutely. and sometimes they can be brought back into I find it so hard when this has come up in, in the show before is the discipline to actually listen back to a gig that you've recorded oh. particularly if it's a preview and it's an hour long and you're thinking there'll be relatively few nuggets in there and if it went really well you think hey I'll just remember that stuff because it was great and if it went really badly, you think, I can't make myself sit through that experience again. <laughs> Although often you do find the opposite uh, happens. If you've got a great one and you listen back to it, you can very easily find yourself going, oh, it wasn't as good as I thought. Uh -huh. And if it was dreadful, you listen back and go, no, to be fair, there were some laughs in there. So. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the issue is the ego is rampaging at the time. It's funny, isn't it? Because, and, and again, we have somebody like Alien who comes to a lot of gigs. We, I mean, how many years have you been doing this, Stu? Seven. Seven, right. So this. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm way ahead of you in that respect. But you know the feeling sometimes when you're doing a gig, and I used to be guilty of not doing this. Sometimes you can just kind of paint on a smile and keep keep going. What I was guilty of in the in the past was let my feelings show in my face and just think, oh, this is a terrible gig, and I can't wait for the next 58, 58 minutes to go. Yeah. Uh, I've only been on two, yeah. um, and you know, once uh, I was doing the backstage Stephen and Gilded Balloon, and it was a horrible, horrible gig. And I was almost on the stage uh, at the point of saying, listen, let's just call it quits and go. And from the depths of the audience I heard, come on, Fred. I thought, wow, that's amazing, right? This encouragement from Alien, and I, I got it, and I won the audience over, and it was still oh. one of the greatest gigs I ever did. And uh, afterwards I said, you know, that was 
thank you so much for that. And I said, she said, what? I said, I heard you saying, come on, friend. She said, I didn't. Right? And where it came from, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe I imagined it, or maybe, maybe it was somebody else, but she it's just said, it wasn't me. Or maybe she said it and just didn't realize she had. Yeah. That's lovely. And I think sometimes that's all you would need, isn't it? To just know that something Sarah was talking about yesterday was the, the experience of looking at an, a room full of people and realizing they're not up for you. They're not laughing. But sometimes that doesn't mean they're not enjoying it. They might be sitting there thinking, come on, Fred, yeah, or, or equivalent, you know, which would be frustrating during, I, I wouldn't like to be angry with, come on, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Fred. No, you just what about bring on, Fred? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and here, uh, I know we're, we're, we're gathered, it's been a lovely chat, but, but, and this is the quarter page, okay? okay. So when was, you, I thought you were talking night. about in terms of quartering the hour, um, like, uh, into 15 minute sections, but you actually yeah, physically... I do actually physically quarter okay. the page, and there you are, French 2012, stand three, Friday the third, and we start off with swearing, uh, and then the second quarter starts with the Scot at Leicester Airport, or East Midlands. Then the third quarter starts with big question. That's, okay. uh, that's about Scottish, that's the politics yeah. out there. Uh, and then uh, the, the fourth quarter starts with Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, uh, dirty stuff at the end. Dirty stuff at the end. Yeah. Uh, mobile phones, and then perspective. Uh, perspective is a, a story just about something that happened 20, 24 years ago. Okay. Um, just about in the early stages of our marriage. Okay. Married 28 years, folks. Yeah, but yeah they're not fast. They've been together for uh, more than half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> So with the, you were talking about rejigging the order, is that exactly what you mean by that? Is it, do you find that the, have you identified that structure because the pieces work, the individual parts work rhythmically, there's a flow to them? Or is it that they are linked in terms of theme? And you know, once you've set this up, now we can talk about this. Which, which way around does that work? It's, um, I think, uh, I mean at this stage, um, the, the, the whole thing might get rejigged, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I will still finish, I will finish on perspective. Um, how I start, I'm not altogether sure. And what I'll do today is just look at the, so what we've got, maybe about 20, 20 segments there, uh, and just sort of move them about. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether, I mean, there's stuff about Billy Connolly, um, and that might move over into the Scottish bit as mm -hmm. well, because Billy's somebody that is, you know, sure. we'll, we'll see whether he thinks it's going to sure. independence or not. Do you, do the rest you, is just scraps, that's all the scraps. Do you, within within an hour, do you identify, like, something that, I, I don't know if this is sort of common knowledge, but amongst comedians, there's this idea that 40 minutes into an hour, there's a bit of a lull. Uh -huh. And then, because an hour is a long time, as you're aware, we've just passed it. Um, <laughs> we're, we're significantly past it, it's alright. Um, but at the 40 minute mark, there tends to be a bit of a lull where people kind of go, oh, I've been sitting still for quite a while. And I know something that Mark Watson has done, many of you know, the fabulous comedian Mark Watson. Um, I, I supported him on tour for a couple of years and saw his shows uh, many, many times. And he would do a lovely thing in one of them where he would nominate someone at the beginning of the show and say, 40 minutes in, there'll be a lull. So can you just start shouting, lull, lull, at the 40 minute mark, to try and cover it, which is a funny idea, and also has a chance for everyone to refresh and go, right, this is as far as we are. And I'm just thinking in terms of those, uh, those kind of moments of, of, of rhythm, you, you presumably, after the, the, the amount of time you've been doing this, you have an instinct for the shape of a show. Yeah. So the decisions you're making might be informed by 
with the Billy Connolly stuff, does that, there are, I think what I'm getting at is there's lots of different reasons you could move it. Mm -hmm. You could move it by reasons of theme. You could move it because it's a bit bluer and you want it later on. Or you might be moving it because you're thinking, well, do you know what this, I mean, this punchline is a cracker and it will save me if the bit before that is a little bit weaker. Are you making those sort of decisions? Are those going into it? Yes, I am, definitely. And, and you're absolutely right. There, are, there is a rhythm to the show. And, uh, you know, I, I always want to absolutely open really strongly. And something that, uh, and then close with a, with a big one as well. Um, and you're right, you, you, you maybe have some bankers that you move around. Yes. Just to kind of bring the level of, uh, you know, the, the energy back up. And that, I mean, and that goes all the way back to emceeing and warm-up, you know? Yeah. Um, especially warm-ups where you were on and off throughout the night, and sometimes, you know, maybe a, a sketch didn't work, uh, or a scene in a sitcom didn't go as well as the director had hoped. You go back on and you've kind of got to get the audience back yeah. up. So I know all about that, and it's, sure. it's something that, you know, all across entertainment you'll get, in television uh, and in films as well, you know, the 20 minute, something significant has got to occur at the 20 minute point in a movie. Yes, yes. a big, a big uh, shift in, in, in direction, perhaps. But I, I will do that, I, I, I will jig things around. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, I always was guilty, if I wrote something new, um, I always wanted to get it in early. Yes, classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No matter how good it was and whether you thought it would be a good closing gag, I would just put it out yeah. you know, and, and try and... There's a it. tremendous danger sometimes of like having a great idea for a joke on the way to a gig and thinking, oh, brilliant, I'll open with this because yeah. I love it. And of course you've never tried it before and the first thing you say on stage is pretty crucial in stand-up. You've yeah. got to win people over. So that was why, you know, with the emceeing, I managed to resist that urge and then just kind of filter it in. Do you ever suffer from nerves? Did you ever suffer from nerves? Oh, I, I mean, always. I mean, I, um, you do get, you get used to rooms, you get used to uh, the facilities that are around you, you know? Mm -hmm. you, you, you get to know whether a room has got a good atmosphere and a good vibe, you know? Sure. I mean? And in comedy club terms, I mean, we've got the stands here in Glasgow and Edinburgh, great rooms, you know, wonderful rooms. Uh, and the comedy store was always good, but you know, I always did get, get nervous. Now what I'm, you know, sort of corporate events, when you're doing, stuffed with 1500 suits you know? <laughs> and that, that used to phase me and I, I think the nerves are simply down to fear of failure okay. uh, which exists I think. and how do you deal with that do you have any particular way of addressing that or is it just not something that well, no, I mean the nerves not the thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, well um, the one, one thing you know a, a big sort of after dinner kind of Cabernet spot or an award ceremony and I do a lot of those presentations. I always look at my watch, you know, at the sort of 9.45 and uh, look at the watch and I think, well, at 11.45 this is all going to be over one way or another. Time's not going to stop, so let's just crack on. Just, I think it's worth just exploring, briefly describing what that, that scenario is. Often, and I've done similar of these, I'm sure, at a different level. But uh, you will get booked to do some stand-up comedy or maybe to present an award in your role as a comedian to a bunch of people who have no interest in you being there. All they want to do is the end of the year, they just want to get smashed and try and get off with Tracy from accounts. Or, you know, or, or whatever. She's a busy is. girl. She is busy. <laughs> um, so it can, you can really feel like, I'm, I'm, this isn't what they want. I've been booked to be here and I've said yes to the money, but this isn't necessarily the most appropriate thing to yeah. happen now. You're not in control of any of the variables. They might be paying quite well, so you sort of think, I really have to, I've got to live up to this, yeah. 
Um, but no, so rather, I mean, I, people, because of the radio thing, people say, oh, broadcaster friend Macaulay, and obviously, look, I still like to think of myself as comedian first and foremost. Yes. Uh, and I would, you know, I would far rather be out touring and maybe doing five or six theatre gigs a week. Sure. But sure. just that, that's not the way it's worked out for us as a family. Sure. Um, Alfie Moore, who's a, a fabulous comedian who used to be a policeman until very recently, at 36 or something years on the force. Um, it might be 26, I might be making all the videos. But uh, uh, Alfie was saying when he does uh, uh, after dinner speaking, he always builds himself as an after dinner speaker uh -huh. rather than a comedian. Because then he gets to be the funniest after dinner speaker. Do you see what I mean? It's quite a useful tip. Another comedian, uh, Alan Cochran, once gave me a similar tip for warm up when I was starting doing studio warm up, which is that if you walk on with a clipboard, you seem like a really funny member of the production staff. <laughs> Rather than if you walk on in a shiny suit, and you, you know what I mean, you seem like, ta-da, it's going to be jokes now, and then actually it can be quite difficult to find the level of the thing. I'm going to buy myself a pair of dungarees. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just painting. <laughs> Do you read your reviews, Fred? Yes. You do? Yeah. Are you comfortable with that? If you, I mean, I don't know when the last time was that you got a negative review, but were you able to cope with it? Um, I got one last year that was, was three stars, and I think, you know, uh, given the night that it was, I thought, I thought it was fair. That's good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and it, you know, the, the blow was cushioned by uh, a number of four-star reviews quitting at the back of that. Sure. But, uh, no, I thought, it, I thought it was fair. I've never really found fault. I, you know, I've never had a stinker. Um, but, you know, it, it can come along. I think sometimes, when you say three stars as well, again, that might not be sort of common knowledge, but from a comedian's point of view, I think three stars is almost worse than two or one, because if it's two or one, at least they hated it. <laughs> I mean, at least they had the reaction, whereas three stars is sort of like someone going, yeah, yeah. you know, which could be, that, could be, that could be quite upsetting. But then, uh, and I've never had a five-star review, so I mean, four is as good as I'm aiming for, so I'm fine. That's quite nice, you, okay, you, you could have you calibrated yourself. Yeah. You're just aiming I'm like somebody coming in the Olympics thinking, yeah, I want a bronze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bronze is great. Yeah. We were discussing before the difference between bronze and last is a matter of microns sometimes, isn't it? It's perfectly easy. Um, if, if there's any uh, questions from the audience, we can field a few of them, if there are. If everyone is content. There's a lady down there. Hello. Hello. What keeps you driven? What keeps me driven? Well, I said at the start, I used to have a lot of ambitions and, you know, boxes to tick. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a family man, my kids are now all in their 20s. So I'm at the stage now where I have the luxury of maybe readdressing some uh, ambitions, you know, and, and maybe setting some things out on the horizon. But professionally, they're not quite so important. I would say they're more, they're more personal now. Um, but I mean, I, I, I've got a good Scottish Presbyterian work ethic. I work an awful lot. Uh, my missus would love it if I kind of took my foot off the gas a wee bit. Um, but uh, no, I love working and I love what I do. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you know, but I mean, I, I was uh, an accountant for a retail group and company secretary and I had a good job. And then in my early 30s, I just thought there's more to life than this. So I'm, you know, and all the way down the line, I'm 55 now. I've always thought I am one of the few people that is doing exactly what they want to do with their life, you know? And there's, there's, there's millions of people out there who maybe think I'd rather be doing something else and that, that drives me on, that I'm, I'm really fortunate and I get to play golf <laughs> and ski, yeah, you know, 
That is that, that what that's there's an ambition, yeah, it's single handicap. I mean I've come down from twenty-two. Uh, down to 14, uh, and a really good medal round in me. Have I gone on too much? No, not at all. This is, uh, this, uh, I think, I was thinking this is a lovely place to end the podcast on the idea of being happy. And I thought what we could do is I'll just gradually, when, in the edit, I'll just turn the volume down slowly as Greg discusses his This is where I differ from an awful lot. The, the stand-ups, you know, because people are looking at Donald Trump having built this golf course up in the east of Scotland, and they're saying, what has he done to the flora and the fauna? And these were the most beautiful natural dunes, and I'm thinking, I wonder if we could hit the green with a free wood. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm happy to take another question. We may have time for one more, if there is one. If not, then would you please join me in thanking Mr. Fred McCauley. Thank you very much. So that was Fred McCauley. Uh, Our next episode is coming up soon. I've not recorded it yet. I don't know who it's with. I've got a couple of possibles, all of whom are very exciting, but uh, also I need to sort of try and fit them into my day-to-day life somehow as well. Um, So uh, who knows who's next. The next live one will be in two weeks, and that is with Josh Widdicombe. And I think it's safe to say it's one of the best ones we've ever done. I'm really excited about that one. Um, so there we go. So thanks to Two Entertain, as ever. Thank you, as always, to uh, Tom Wateracre and to Graham Crockford for their technical support and assistance. Thanks to Toby Rose, who's my web guy. If you like the website, do give him a shout. He's got a link on there as well. Um, and that'll do for now. Uh, thanks to Fred. Do go to his website, fredmacaulay.com, in order to get hold of some tickets for his, his current tour. And we'll be back very soon. Mm-hmm.